confronting the stigma of the red wheelbarrow. I was intimidated the moment I arrived at my all-girls boarding school in 1967. The majority came from the elite East Coast, Locust Valley, Greenwich, Wellesley, and Park Avenue, well known to me from Monopoly. I was from Lake Forest, Illinois, itself considered an elite suburb of Chicago, but the Midwest held no social cachet. I couldn't zip off to New York for a weekend, unlike a classmate named Lisa, whose nickname was Lusha, for God's sake. My classmates were women of the world. I was a hick. Mr. Showett, my English teacher, was an aggressive, angry sort, perhaps a frustrated author who resented teaching callow and overprivileged teenagers. He'd sit back in his chair with his hands behind his head, then bolt forward and ask probing questions beyond the assigned curriculum of Jane Eyre. My prior English teachers were matronly types, who focused on such things as diagramming sentences to emphasize the faux pas of a dangling modifier. Book reports were merely plot summaries with the emphasis on what the authors said, not what they meant. Critical thinking was not part of my education. One day, Mr. Showett asked the class to interpret the William Carlos Williams poem, So Much Depends Upon a Red Wheelbarrow, Glazed with Rainwater Beside the White Chickens. Mr. Showett started around the room asking classmates what so much meant, the symbolism of the wheelbarrow and the fact that it was red. I cowered in my corner, hoping the discussion wouldn't reach me. Oh, good Lord, I thought, how the hell am I supposed to know? The wheelbarrow could be red because the farmer had extra paint after fixing up his barn. We used to have chickens in our backyard. Let's see, they came in all colors, but mostly we had white ones because they were the best layers. Maybe that's the reason. I knew my mundane answer would not measure up to my more insightful classmates. Glaze suggests the passage of time, said one. A few minutes ago, the wheelbarrow would have been wet because it was still raining. But if it's glazed, the sun must be shining. So the wheelbarrow represents that moment of time between before and after. See what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so much depends on that. The wheelbarrow might be a religious symbol, said another. After all, it's a tripod. Couldn't it be the Holy Trinity? Mr. Showett nodded appreciatively. I thought, I am so far out of my league here. It's just a fucking wheelbarrow in the rain. And what's the deal with the punctuation? There isn't any. It's a mess. The bell sounded, class dismissed. I was grateful to escape public humiliation, but Mr. Showett had one parting shot, an assignment to write our own collection of poems. I don't remember what I turned in, but I do recall, in excruciating detail, my deepening humiliation when Mr. Showett returned my paper. He hadn't made one comment. There was no grade, as if the poems didn't even exist. A poor grade, which might have indicated some potential, would have been better than no grade at all. This experience seared my self-identity as an intellectual lightweight. If I lacked the insight to appreciate the 16 words of Williams's famous poem, then I better keep my mouth shut on weightier issues, such as the symbolism in Lord of the Flies. I threw myself into math and science. The unassailable proofs of geometry were thrilling. Equations weren't burdened with hidden meanings. No discussion was required. An elegant proof was the goal. Perhaps I could create a more efficient logic train, shave off one of the steps illustrated in the textbook. There are more than 300 proofs of the Pythagorean theorem. 
I could win great acclaim by devising yet another. In college, I remained focused on science, avoiding anything requiring a jousting intellectual discussion. Unfortunately, English 101 was required for graduation, and I had put it off to the last semester. I felt like a senior citizen as I stood in the registration line with jabbering freshmen. Due to the size of the introductory class, students were randomly assigned to professors who set their own curriculum. I was horrified when I was assigned to a poetry section. I could avoid it no longer. Time to suck it up and wade into the squishy world of symbolism. My professor was a fan of Yeats, a Nobel Prize-winning English poet famous for using symbolism to express two opposing forces of nature. With that in mind, I tried to invent as many symbols as I could. I just let it rip. I suggested that roses could represent the tension between beauty and inevitable decay. Stones could symbolize either reliability or obstinacy. And water, well, what the hell? I cribbed off the glazed wheelbarrow. I wrote that solid, liquid, and gas forms of good old H2O could symbolize the transition from past to present to future. I passed the class, relieved to get my diploma. However, the whole exercise was confusing. The lesson I learned from this sliver of a liberal arts education was the importance of an elegant workaround. But I felt like a fraud. I had just made everything up. There was no proof. Over the next decades, my mind periodically returned to the red wheelbarrow, a still tender scar deep within my psyche. I was surprised to see that internet commentaries mirrored my confusion, but at least the writers expressed an opinion. The reliance of the farmer on nature, i.e. rain and chickens, and his own tools, the wheelbarrow. I shrugged at these hypotheses. Sure, why not? But I had no compelling insight of my own. The wheelbarrow remained a ho-hum scene of no particular interest. This summer, after 55 years, finally an exhilarating breakthrough. For the past seven years, we've spent our summers in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Until this fall, I hadn't noticed the apple tree at the side of the house. Small and stunted, the tree had received no human intervention, no spraying, pruning, no coddling of any kind. Quietly, the tree went through its yearly routine to produce 12 stunning apples, entirely for the benefit of foraging animals, including humans. All the apple asked for in return was the spread of its seeds through feces. My epiphany blossomed before me as I reached up to pick an apple. Yes, William Carlos, now I see that so much depends on everyday details, the unassuming touchdowns of our lives. In our communities, our countries, our world, our planet, we need the mundane to tether us against the bewildering muck. There is comfort in the mundane, elegance in the apple's hidden rhythms. William Carlos happened to see his red wheelbarrow out his window. I happened to hold a humble and perfect apple, glazed with the morning mist in my cupped and wrinkled hand. On the same page at last. <laughs>